Hey, all you rampants. Welcome back to the SaaS Ramp Podcast. I'm your host, Podcast Pete. Here with special guest today, Sonia Kapoor, CEO and co-founder at The Loops. Welcome to the show, Sonia. Thanks, Pete. It's really great to be here, and I love your energy already. Oh, man. You know, like, it's it's Podcast Pete time. I get all excited because I get to say it like a radio host, you know, old school. I can see that. <laughs> hey, tell us, tell, well, tell everybody, tell, tell us where you're at. The Loop says all about transforming support with bringing, you know, product insights to support and support insights to everybody in post sales interactions. You know, we are a seed stage company. We have raised about 8.75 million in seed, and we are almost on our second year journey in helping customers, you know, completely take drive actionable insights from support and drive value. Not see support anymore as a cost center, but a value driver for their organizations. It's a, it's a, this is a super cool platform. Got to see it, just a touch of it like myself, because some of the things we do on the enablement side, like it does overlap this if the enablement role stretches far enough. And in, in our case at Postman, it does. So that was really interesting to see. And then you in particular are in a, are in a certain location, kind of like hobnobbing with some other CEOs and co-founders. What yeah. What yourself today? So I am actually at Ritz-Carlton here for a, at the enterprise retreat where there's select customers, there's select CEOs brought together every year by MR. And, you know, we get coaching, we learn from each other. It's a very small, intimate group of folks. And, you know, being a new age, uh, well, not new age, a young CEO, I might call it. It's so much, it's so good to hear from other CEOs who've gone through walk the walk, talk the talk, to see the challenges that they're facing. Or the, you know, how they will overcome those challenges as opportunities as well. One thing is very common, that they all are resilient and they have grit Oof, I, get to get to the finish line. So, yeah. I completely believe that. Yeah, there's, there's somebody we, uh, we both know walking around over there, though you, you, haven't, you haven't seen them yet. Yes. It, it sounds like Postman Baron Abhinav is somewhere in the building or supposed to be anyway. I heard, yeah, he was supposed to be at the conference. I haven't got a chance to meet him, but if I would, I'll just drop by and say hi. I would say Postman definitely needs loops. As once I heard him at Saster, it was last year, actually, he got on stage and saying, as part of being early CEO, he used to look at every Zendesk ticket that came in. And I'm like, Avinav, I would have made your life so much better. I could have brought in insights that you didn't need to look at every ticket but actually got the nugget of information that you were looking. There, there is no lie about that. Like he definitely follows up on those tickets. He also listens to like call recordings and things like that. And he is, he is on top of it one after another. This is minute three in the podcast. Maybe we'll just timestamp it right there, send it over to him and be like, you know what you do? There's something that can help with that. <laughs> Please yeah. do that. There'll be, others, there'll be others in the podcast round that know about that too. <laughs> That's right. Okay, then th you, you brought up something great. Everybody's there sharing challenges, like places to be resilient. So maybe kick us off. Like as a CEO and co-founder, what is the biggest challenge you faced in the last six months at The Loops? You know, the theme last year was very much about talent. You know, we did a whole word cloud with, there are roughly about 70 CEOs. So they asked us to give a name in. And everybody, the co common unanimous word was talent, how to attract talent and keep them retained, right? was the biggest theme, which as, as you know, a startup founder a year ago, I would say it was uh, 
was was astronomical for us because just attracting talent at such an early stage was a huge challenge as well as keeping them retained. Well, retention, uh, you know, I I think we've we have we've done pretty well on that side. This year, when you asked everybody the same question, it was funding and growth were the two main points. But most of the CEOs of early stage startup to mid market to growth, right, to highly you know, startups that are in their D or E rounds as well up here, which highlighting that it's all about the challenge for the next 12 months is going to be around growth and fundraising for each and every one of us. Okay. Is that, is that kind of due to the, the macroeconomic headwinds that is being continually referenced over maybe the last three or four months? It is. It is definitely based okay. on the macroeconomics for Companies of our stage and size, it's pretty much, you know, heads down, build a solution, create the attraction, create the momentum going on. This is the perfect time to build for seed and series A companies. But, you know, like I said, there's a portfolio of, you know, various companies up here that have that been sharing their challenges. And it's so interesting people, okay. to see with the macroeconomics how quickly the priorities of a CEO can change, right? All worrying about talent six months ago, now worrying about growth and, you know, raising, getting the next rounds. That's interesting. That is interesting. Okay. So, so with, with that, have you had to pivot your, like your, I mean, what do you do when it's time to pivot something like that? Or like you have changing priorities. How do you like get that through your mind? And then how do you tactically change your, your day to day based on some of these things as, as they come, come to you day by day, week by week? I think push out your growth plans. We were very aggressively looking at, you know, hiring and areas like that. You have to, you know, double down on your sales projections, kind of see how, where can you pull in deals that might get moved out to next year. Can you be a little bit creative on that side? At the end of the day, it's all about gross margins and profits that you have to show, even for an early stage startup like ourselves, right? So, you know, just keeping the cost down, keeping focus because there's too much noise outside. So your employees can also get lost. Showing them the path to a success, to, you know, goal achievement is also kind of key in those elements. So those are very important things that, you know, you have to pivot and pivot very fast on. Yeah, Keeping your employees motivated. Okay. And that too. Yeah. Making sure everybody's still, still in the cycle, still running hard, having, having a good time, just like always. It is, right? I mean, there's so much noise outside in terms of layoffs. Uh, you know, every day we hear public companies starting to lay off, you know, 11% of their workforce, 10%, somewhere in mm -hmm. 26%. So it does create that kind of, you know, drain for the employees as well. Apart from we have to now do more with less also, right? Keep the rigor going. So it is all about motivating the team and making sure that they're focused on you know, what are the 12 months, 24 months wins to get to the finish line? The journey never ends. Yeah. Okay. But keeping them, you know, showing the small nuggets of success. As far as leadership moments, do you have some, some favorites after like the, the career that you've had? It doesn't even have to be at loops, but it could be like anywhere along the way. Anything come to mind as far as like these little things that keep you going as a leader? You know, actually customer feedback. Pete, I can't tell you how my day gets made or how excited I am the day the customer comes back and says, oh my God, this is a problem you solved. And so, yeah, this product is so great, 
right? This is what exactly I wanted, right? It's it's that moment, like, you know, I don't know how I want to quantify where your child comes back and say, oh, mama, I won this award. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm doing something yeah. right, right? But I think that validation from your customers in terms of if you can solve their problem, I think you have something over there to keep you going. At least that keeps me going. My customer validation keeps me going. Completely not surprised to hear that at all. Like there was another another podcast recently. CEO, Zeus B, says the same thing. It's, it's one of those things that he can't quite get away from, even though he might be more efficient if he spent less time with a customer. He keeps going back there because it helps. It helps, it helps not only validate, but inform for the future pieces of the product. But it's just such, it, it's maybe one of the reasons why you do it. And so it's, it's, I hear that very constantly. I'm not surprised at all to hear you say that. It's very important for product CEOs, I, I feel. And I feel like if you're building a product in today's age, you can't just be an operational CEO in my mind. You have to be a product CEO to see uh, not only how the customers are using the product, but how your product is getting shaped over a period of time to drive value. And of course, you know, everything kind of comes through revenue aspects of it too. But I think it's very, very important for today's CEOs to know the product, to feel it. I, I actually demo my own product. I can demo my own product. And if I can demo my own product, I think everybody in my organization should demo our product too. So that's the expectation. That was one of the learnings that I did when I was at SAP in this emerging solution department where, you know, where my leaders would actually get on the stage and no demo, no, you know, mocked up demos were allowed in keynotes. They actually made it a point to always demo live products. So we spent- It can be scary, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I had to present in one or two keynotes as well. And that taught me a very valuable lesson because as you're testing your own product for a keynote, you realize, oh my God, 10 things that are wrong with it, right? But you go go ahead and get them fixed as well. So it is very daunting to see your EVP at a public company like SAP test the product out before getting on the stage. But it sets a culture and rhythm for everybody within the organization to know to test anything before you hand it over to him or her. And I think that has just been ingrained in me that I am constantly looking at our solution. I don't think you can take me away from it, no matter the task. But yes, knowing your product and seeing customers use it is, is, is a huge validation in itself. That's awesome. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so like yeah, staying close with customers, staying close with product. What, what might be one thing you have to get right for you? Like you have to get right, or you have to at least delegate for it to get right in order for your org to grow. If you could only pick one thing. Wow. That's interesting. What do I have to get one thing right? Usage of the product. Again, I'm looking at it from a very product lens perspective, but. I'll have to go back and think because I've got 10 things on my head right now, Pete, that I have to get it right. <laughs> now you're saying, here's that's thing exactly one. it. Like, because you're <laughs> thinking of, you're thinking of like the, uh, it's like, it's like the Mexican menu. Like, which thing will I have? There's 74 items to choose from here on the, uh, on the, uh, on the, on the menu. And so for a CEO, like, I'm always curious, like, what one thing, if you can narrow it down to one thing, because it's such a challenge, it's such a mental challenge to pull down to the one. But usage is, 
That's interesting. What, what would it be about usage? Would it be like usage increasing? Would it be the quality of the usage? Like, because your previous answer was customer feedback as far as like, and so there's a theme, there's a little bit of a theme here. It yeah, is. Tell me a little bit about usage. I think it's it's in the phase that we are, you know, our customers using it. How can we make sure they're using the product even more? They're coming back in, you know, they're expanding it. They're sharing it with the employees or sort of areas. Usage is one. But if I look at from a cultural standpoint, right, apart from the 10 things that I have on my plate, right, the one thing that I would say across borders stands across my sales, marketing, support area that I would say is attention to detail as well is super critical. Attention to detail really helps build superb products, right? Design-wise, usage-wise, attention to detail and support and success really helps in understanding where the customer's dropping off, where can we help increase, evangelize certain areas, topics, or kind of prevent them from happening. Attention to detail, even in marketing, kind of helps create thought leadership for new spaces that are coming up. Attention to detail and support, even all sales also drives a lot of momentum. So I think if I'm looking at one area across my verticals, across horizontals in my organization for my leaders is attention to detail. But, but from a product perspective is to drive more usage, expansion, retention opportunities right now based on the market. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, can't like literally just can't, can't argue there, especially when you're, when you're you're building the product so rapidly and so quickly and moving it out into the market. Okay, then then maybe like it's apt that you're at the at the enterprise retreat right now. Love to know how you got to your current stance as like a CEO and co-founder. Like I always say it's not something you went to college and like took that course, you know, and now you're networking with like-minded people, other people in the seat because again, it's not something that you're you're you can otherwise be fairly lonely there in that seat. So, you know, I think always started through enterprise software, building solutions or being the bridge between business and technology was something was very true to my heart. By, by certification of university, I'm, I have a master's in computer science, so I've done the coding route. But I soon realized that there was a massive bridge that needed to be built at my journey being at SAP between business and technology, actually. Phenomenal company to get at the stage that I did because I understood enterprise software. I understood how it got tied down to the business of any organization and what drove the usage of an ERP software out in the market, right? Moved my headwinds into service now to realize, oh, wow, you know, cloud momentum is different. It's, it's changing the dynamics of how software is seen. Ten years ago, middleware softwares like NetWeaver and WebSphere didn't survive the need because they were built for on-premise solutions. But now if you're building something for the cloud and tying different systems together, you can really, really build a big company like ServiceNow using list and forms, right? Then, you know, dabbled a little bit in my previous startup around, I was the first employee there and became part of the founding team you know, building the solution around conversational AIs, figured out, you know, it is a need in the market. It's going to disrupt things. But, you know, support fundamentally is trying to resolve issues through NLP standpoint, which is great. But there's this all product usage data that's available that nobody is finding to understand why is there increase in support tickets, right? Or if there is support tickets, what's leading to the biggest trend within them, right? Is it product-related issue? Is it a new feature release? Is it customers using the solution? Why are they not converting 
from a free trial to a paid version, what behaviors are missing out, right? That was a missing piece in my previous startup where I was, where I was saying, oh, NLP alone cannot solve these problems. And I had tasted blood. You know, I got down from corporate organizations, SAP, ServiceNow, public companies, all of a sudden going to a startup while being the first employee there. I was like, right. what the hell was I missing out? Why, why didn't I do this before? Well, what's that? What's that? What were you missing from corporate side? Because there's there's pros and cons, right? Like you're because when you go to the smallest side and you're the first employee, you're like, hey, do we have this? And the answer is just no. But you could build it if you wouldn't mind creating that. Thank you, Somia. You know, like there's pros and cons to it. Like you'll have the resources on the big, but then you can create the resources on the small. Like you can direct the path versus, you know, just getting in with the inertia. What What is it that that brings and there's a, uh, your friend and mine? Sarika guard. She did the same thing from SAP. So yeah. what is it that brings you over to the realm? I think it's it's the need to build something to solve a problem on your own terms. I would feel not that, you know, if you're a VC backed startup, you you get to do everything on your own terms, but actually you get a lot of autonomy to build a solution that can disrupt a market. Right? We're too early to say anything at that stage. I think a seed stage series is very, very new, but really going out and saying there is a problem that needs to be solved kind of can get lost in big companies, in my opinion. You you spend endless process, bureaucratic cycles to figure out how to get through convincing people, and then you just go nowhere. In a startup, you just need right. to get the ball going. Yes, you don't have the brand recognition. You don't have the marketing dollars to go after all of that, right? But if you have perseverance and grit and passion, I think there's nothing better than this place. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I was just hearing like to be able to create, to solve a problem. And that's yes. when you said, you said, I saw blood, like I went here, I was able to see this, this was an issue. Did, did, was there a specific, I think I caught this when you were telling it, was there a specific issue at the previous startup that you saw that led you to want the Loops product? Yeah. You know, in my previous interaction, in the previous startup, we did a lot more around doing IT automation piece, right? But whenever we went to a CIO, they said, oh, this is great. You know what? I have a bigger problem on my support and success side. Can you help me there? Or, you know, are my right. ticket volumes a lot more? Can you help there? Or can you mind? And the more and more we started talking to customers, we realized that that problem alone cannot be solved through NLP. It needed a lot more of product context, which means it needed a lot of products data to make that happen. Just recently, I was at Saster, right? where the CEO of Coda came on stage and he said he looks at two things, right? One is gong calls, mining gong calls and insights, and the other is support queues. Now imagine as a CEO, you're spending time at this new age PLG companies or at scale SaaS solutions to mine this data. What if I can make this available to you in real time? I can tell you, oh, you know what? Adhivav, today, what is trending in your environment is this API that you just launched. By the way, the volume of issues are this much, and this is what your customers are saying. And the impact of releasing this API to your existing base is so much X amount of dollars. Now, I've given you an insight not only to see what is going on rather than going a ticket by ticket or a conversation by conversation to see what's going or asking your support leader to give you these insights. 
now you can act on this data. You can go ahead and say, okay, let me pull back this API. Or you know what, let me just go ahead and create some enablement material so that people can understand what's going on. Or by the way, let me, you know, stack rank my customers by this one. And I'm going to go reach out to them and say, look, let me help you give professional services to help you build this in this way, right? But you can take instantaneous action on that trigger, right? On that kind of a trend happening in your environment. This does not happen today. People wait a month later. They are like, oh, this is my volumes. The other example that we got was, oh, you know what? A customer came frustrated to us. And then we spent 72 hours figuring out why the customer was frustrated. And we realized every ticket this customer put in was escalated to engineering. Of course, the customer is going to get frustrated because they're going to wait for now three months, six months for the next release to come out to get that results, right? How do you understand these kind of nugget of information right at every interaction point? What is the impact to your organization all the way downstream, right? Is a value add Mm. that we're bringing, right? It's the necessity of people building products in today's solution. It's the necessity of today's leaders that are building at scale SaaS solutions to understand how, how it's impacting their bottom line. Did you say what you used it a few times? Was it NLP? NLP, like natural language. There was something that they were using. Yeah. Yeah. Natural language processing. Because it had to do with the conversational AI. Yeah. Okay. Natural language processing. And that's from the conversational AI. Yeah. And that was, that was from the previous organization into what you were actually hearing was a bigger challenge for the, for the economic buyer that you were previously interacting with. Exactly. So natural language processing will only resolve repeat kind of issues, right? It's not going to resolve your product-related issues. For that, you need product context. You need the user behaviors. You need the product signals to understand what is driving this trend, right? And that correlation is very important from a technology standpoint. And that's the premise of loops, right? How do you bring product context to support and bring everybody in the loop to understand what's happening for, for sales. So who, who do you like to speak to in an organization who most understands this problem? And let me add some context to it. Like for various companies, and I'll reference Postman, that's my organization for two years now. It's a, it, there's a grassroots bottoms up movement. So we have individual users. They'll use anything from the free product all the way through to perhaps the enterprise product, mostly with 22 million users though, on the free or self-serve products. And then there will be an economic buyer who might be like a, SVP of, you know, of, of cloud architecture. And, uh, and they, they know that there's these high level challenges. They don't really know that the product is solving it at this level and they don't know how it could solve for it there. So there's a top down, bottom up. So there's different types of users. Like who are your users and is, are your users actually the, the buyers as well? Like who, who are the personas you interact with mostly? Yeah, so the buyers probably could be different. So the buyers are different from the users. The users could be anybody in the post-sales organization. It could be your support agents. It could be, you know, success managers. It could be even the product people leveraging those insights that we're doing. From a buyer persona perspective, Mm -hmm. we sell to the support leaders or, you know, success leaders that have support under their organization as well because they're managing both success and support right? Depending on the scale of the organization. If you're anywhere mid-market, typically we see VP of success owning both success and support. In large enterprises, it's 
it support leaders that pretty much is the buyer. But the user is anybody in the post-sales organization that wants to understand mm. with these customer interactions, what is trending today? What is my sentiment of the customer? What kind of product-related issues are trending today that's causing the agitation or, or unrest with a customer or actually preventing them from using the product in some way or the other, right? So it's actually in some organizations, I'm even hearing this new term CX leader getting formed or chief customer officer coming formed, right? So those, those are our buyers. Yeah. That one, the holistic view, not in a week, by or monthly, actually in real time. So they can act on it, right? If, 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 you, if you know that usage is, you know, there's actually a trend happening or there is an impact to your customer base for your high profile organization or the effort your organization is spending with the customer is not adding to the bottom line. Like I'll tell you, we create one chart in our system where we show customers the effort that their organization is putting in to serve the customer and the amount that the customer is paying them does not correlate well. You know, one organization we figured out, they figured out 70% of the time was spent with customers that were not paying them that much. Why? Right. That does not match that 80-20 that everybody's looking for, does it? Yeah, it <laughs> The does old not. Pareto's principle is a little bit off as far as that goes. It does not. That's what we're changing. How can you change support as a service? Not that you offer it to all okay. here exclusive, exclusive customers, but where the business has value, right? Sales is already doing that. Do you think sales spends time with people that are not going to close in a year or two years' time? No. Then why is support doing that? Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, like a specific challenge for support and kind of like bringing it to the forefront. A good UI as well, because I was able to see that. Well, what do you guys look like over the next year? Like your organization, you know, there's there'll be there'll be a lot of things that you have in front of you already mentioned it's a journey you're never done but you know if you have the milestone of 12 months in the future especially you're at this event right now so you're probably getting you know oh there's this there's this don't forget to concentrate on this but what is the what's the like when you close your eyes what's the kind of vision you have for uh, for loops over the course of 12 months i think the the vision for the next 12 months for loops is you know, how we really can transform support to become a value driver for every organization that's doing at scale SaaS solution, right? And how do we bring these nuggets? How do we bring this information not only to support leaders, but to success, to product leaders to really drive insights and then add to the bottom line? Retention and expansion as a, is at the top of the hour of every organization today right? It's not about the net new dollar. It's actually about retention and expansion. And the loops is well suited to help you understand why your customers are not, why your customers are not adopting new capabilities or where is the pain in those interactions and usage of your data. So that's what we are here to become as a company that's not only serving support, but the whole post-sales organization. I call it CX. I don't know what's the right term for it, but the whole post-sales organization. Yeah. There you go. CX. Yeah, everybody has their different. Everybody, you know what I Yeah, CX. It's, it's, it, it, good morning. Go ahead. When I say CX in some industry, they're like, oh, you know, it means so different. But I'm like, anything that's post-sales, that involves retention and expansion. Right. Right. 
Yeah, that's interesting. You know, will you as a leader, will you expand into any one department over another to kind of drive these new priorities, the, the expansion, the retention priorities? Is there anything that you have to do different in the next year just to ensure that you're doing that as an organization? You know, the key element that we want to do is how you can make support as part of the product experience, right? Support should never be disjointed from your product experience. And, the, and, and if that's happening, there's something fundamentally really wrong because, you know, customers get used to certain behaviors of the product and they expect that they're getting, when they reach support, they want the same experience aspect of it, right? Traditionally, support is always seen, you know, disjointed from product. But I think um, what, what we are striving with this element of intelligence and actionable insights of bringing the data from all these different sources on how we can bring support as part of the product in terms of understanding of how you can eliminate in some case or gauge issues before they happen as well and provide the necessary measures to leaders to act on them, right? Pretty much the weather forecasting kind of a thing, right? If there's going to be potential rain happening tomorrow, then I want to have you know, everything in place to make sure that I'm well cladded for that. How can I see based on your product usage trends that, oh, you know, you are going to face some issues if, you, if the customer takes these certain paths and how you're prepared to make that happen? So I think that's, that's where we are heading off as a solution in the market. What can we do to make that happen? Not only across organization, but in our organization also, also where support doesn't become twice the size of engineering as we're growing, right? Where it's kept in line with the scale and the momentum that we would want our customers to use is, is, is what we are working towards as well. Okay. So just kind of maintaining like some ratios within the company alignment from the front of the platform all the way to the back, just internally as well. So you can kind of almost have that ideal state. So when you're referencing for customers, kind of consulting to customers saying this is possible, we know because, you know, we showcase it internally in our organization. Yeah, no, we have a, we have a whole, example. It feels exactly. We have a three pronged model that we kind of share with everybody. How do you move from reactive to proactive to preventative measures as you're growing mm -hmm. as an organization? And all of that requires data in the back end. Contextualizing the data is where it starts from. Applying intelligence on top of that data and then taking preventative measures using various models to do it in product itself. So we have a whole alignment and we want to be a sample example of that, you know, as well as we scale as an organization too. No doubt. Yeah, it's, that's fantastic. That's a, this is a, uh, this is quite the journey. I know it is coming from, coming from, you know, when you're just you're ramping it, you're trying to create this hockey stick growth and you guys seem to be having it. Do you have two to three people you'd like to, thank for the journey to this point? I do. There's endless people that I want to thank for, 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 you know, getting us here. I do want to thank Guru at PayPal for giving us the huge opportunity as an early state startup to show value to his organization mm -hmm. in kind of preventing, you know, contacts happening with the kind of volume and the data. We feel like we pretty much have been able to validate this journey not only for young SaaS companies for but for a very mature organization like PayPal as well. I do want to, you know, thank one of our angel investors, 
Christina for being a mentor and a support, my sounding person that I can go to therapy at any given point of time, because this position definitely requires therapy. If someone is telling me they're not doing therapy, oh my God, no, I'm just kidding. But you know, it's a lonely job. There are people that knock your door hundreds of times for more issues than actually a resolution. You need someone as a partner in crime that's actually constantly helping you. And, you know, my VCs, you know, I don't want to pick any one of them. Actually, it's Dell, Tidal and Westwave who have been absolutely supportive of a company like ours and a sounding board that we can constantly go back to, um, to, you know, vet ideas, to to keep open doors, right? Where we don't feel shied away from, for a fear of not asking them, right? So, you know, always having open door policy that I can go back to them with any query, any issue and openly discuss that as I'm on this journey. There's endless people to thank from SAP ServiceNow to be where I am in my personal career itself. But, you know, for now, I would say those three people that I would really, really thank. And since Pete, you said only three, I'm going to add a fourth one too, which is, which is my, you know, co-founder for bearing with me for two years. <laughs> yeah. Good team. Good team. Yeah. It takes a lot. And I think startups that are successful require that, uh, that, you know, I don't want to say that, that understanding between the co-founders that when things get tough, they're going to be difficult discussions. But, you know, we always get back on the board where company comes more important than anything else, right? Driving results for the company are more important than any, any personal grudges. Okay. Yeah. It kind of, that, it takes a village kind of, kind of feel. It, it certainly seems like you're surrounded by the right people, which is, which is really, really important. I can only imagine. Okay. Then what, this is the title of the show, of course, like SAS Ramp podcast. What does SAS Ramp mean to you? Wow. Well, in today's market, it means doing more with less. SaaS solutions today are built with, you know, you can build software more faster than ever before with the cloud solution and technology. You have tools and technologies available to you to drive each function even more faster with less number of resources because you get insights. So SaaS RAM to me means... uh, you know, doing more with less. It's a, it's solid. I mean, it's good. It 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 it, it certainly does because you're trying to go trying to go fast, stay lean, make the right decisions. You have tools at your disposal. Pick the right ones. Make sure you're leveraging data. There's, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good sound bite for that. You know, we have to pull it off for some of this quote. So I, I like it when it's like nice and concise. Do more with less. Boom. Samya Kapoor. It makes it easy on me. You know. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is. It is the today's mantra. And I think SASRAM lets you do that, right? It is, it's taking data, but it's no longer taking data. It's driving insights and making them actionable. And how you can do that today, it's all about through SASRAM. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your participation. Thank you for letting us drag you away from these other CEOs for 45 minutes. And, and, if you see my boss, if you see Oppenhoff walking around, tell him hello and then, uh, and then make sure he knows that we're, we just connected over here and to reach out to me if he needs to know a little bit more about the loops, we'll send him the podcast too. 
I will. I will. If I see him, I'm going to definitely tell him, you know what, Abhinav, I just finished a podcast with Pete and he's doing a phenomenal job of bringing people in to share these common insights. Make sure he understands how API-driven your company is too and he'll pat me on the back. So thank you. <laughs> I will. I will tell him that too. Awesome. Brilliant. Have a great rest of your event. Thank you so much, Sonia. Thanks a lot, Pete. This was great. Thank you. Thank you.